The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. That's what it's all about, isn't it? He overcame. And uh, we are going to be celebrating Easter in just a few weeks, but I just want to remind you that we would be the most pity to people, wouldn't we, if we only celebrated Easter once a year. We celebrate Easter every moment of every day, and uh, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said that even the springtime is evidence of the resurrection, that there is life after death. After this winter, you're going to start seeing a lot of grass soon, won't you? And all that stuff to remind us that God is the awesome God who is in control of all things. And so as we uh, come today, we serve not a king who is, uh, you know, dead in a grave somewhere. We serve a king who's ever interceding for the saints, praying for them, and, and petitioning before the throne that we would glorify God together. That's the awesome God that we serve. So today, Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. He is risen, and the congregation responds and says, He is risen indeed, and He is. Buddha's dead, Confucius is dead, Zoroaster's dead, Joseph Smith, Mary Eddie Baker. Sometimes, some way, everyone is going to die, but Jesus lives on. That's the great hope that we have. Well, I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. If you've been with us in the study, many of you have been since the beginning. You know that uh, turning a new page in your Bible is a victory in the study of the book of Mark as we are slowly trudging our way through what it looks like in this gospel. And we are going to be looking at the, the uncornerable, I made a word up, the uncornerable Jesus this morning as we continue our study. And if you're visiting with us, we, we, I just want to take an aside to remind our folks and all of us the reason we do this. Uh, we could study lots of things. If a, if a preacher ever says, I don't know what to preach, uh, shame on him because there's so much you can preach, but we want to go through the plotting a week-by-week, a verse-by-verse study to understand what the full counsel of God's Word says and not miss anything. We want to mine the depths for that reason. So as you're turning there, uh, it's page 848 in your pew Bible if you need that as well. Well, uh, there is that time of year as people are getting out more that, that tickets are starting to be given. Maybe you've seen a face like this in your rearview mirror in recent times, and you're probably not going to raise your hand, but it, if you have, the story is for you. Well, this guy was named Luke, and he's a new policeman, and he was so fond of his job. John Moody, I thought of you with all this stuff. He was a small-town cop. He gave an infraction for everything that happened. And when a car came rushing by one day, Luke immediately turned on his sirens and went after and pulled over the young driver. And the young man jumped from his car and tried to explain, officer, this is what's happening. And as soon as he was explaining this, the officer proceeded to handcuff the man, throw him on the bumper, and, and, and hold him right there. And every time the tri guy tried to speak, Luke, the officer, interrupted him and said, I'm an authority. You are not. Shut up. Be quiet. And after making the arrest and feeling confident he had demonstrated the complete power of his badge, Luke started a monologue with his prisoner. He said, lucky for you, fly boy. The chief is at his daughter's wedding and will be in a good mood when he finally gets here to see you, another person paying a fine for our great city. And the prisoner replied, I wouldn't count on it, Officer Luke. I'm the groom and he's not going to be happy with you. Woohoo! 
John, that never happened to you, I'm sure, at all. If you know John, he used to be a small-town cop, and that'll be what it is. Sometimes we don't understand the difference, do we, between power and authority. Power is the ability, like Officer Luke, to do something how you want to do it. But authority is the right to command or exercise that power. It's possible to have power to do something and not be authorized to do so. But it's also possible to have authority but not be given the power to do so. You remember that great passage from John 19 where, where uh, Jesus told Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it was given to you from above. This was right before Jesus was crucified. And as we enter the Tuesday of Passion Week, we're going to be looking at this debate. Who has the power? Who has the authority? Who is in charge of all the stuff that's going on in Jesus' life? And Jesus is going to go in what's going to be called Terrible Tuesday. You've heard of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but this is Terrible Tuesday. Everything that's happening before the cross seems to be happening on the Tuesday before Jesus goes in. And he will be subjected to a barrage of questions about his authority, about his power. Is he really in charge, or does he just carry a badge and think that he is? Four times in the coming weeks, we're going to be asking the question. They're going to ask him today, by what authority do you do these things, Jesus? And then they're going to ask him in a couple weeks, and this was not planned this way, but the Sunday before tax day, we're going to do a sermon on taxes. Wah, wah, wah. Is it lawful, Jesus, to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They're going to question his teaching authority. Then they're going to attack his teaching again, and they're going to bring a situation. Well, Jesus, what if this man marries a woman, and, and her husband dies, and that husband dies, and that husband dies, and that husband dies? Who will marry her in the resurrection? And then finally, in chapter 12, verse 28, we're going to look at the attack of the authority of the commandments. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? But it all boils down to, really, who is in charge? Who is in charge? And these questions are designed to lead people to look at Jesus and say, you're not really who you say you are, but our Lord is ever so cunning, isn't he? He's God of gods. He's King of kings. He's Lord of lords. He knows all things. And they're going to come to him and ask him questions, but he's going to be the one, ultimately, that asks the right questions at the right time to put them in their place. And they're going to come to him and say, who do you think you are? Who are you to say these things to us? We're the authorities. We're the sources. We're in charge here, Jesus. You get out of the way. Let us do our thing. And it really boils down to pride. Friend, this morning we want to ask the questions, do we believe that Jesus has all authority? Or are there areas in our lives where we would say the same, Jesus, you can have this in my life, but I'm not sure I want you peeking in that corner or that sock drawer over there. Jesus, you can do this, but I'm not sure I want you here with me right now. And how should this impact us, or how do we hide from him? Well, if you're a Christian today, I want to remind you, there is no need to give way to fear today, because the Lord who reigns in unfettered authority is working his unstoppable eternal plan. That's the God that we serve, and we need to know the authority of Christ. This is all about Jesus' authority. This Jesus' authority to do whatever he pleases when he pleases, where he pleases, how he pleases, with what he pleases to do. This is the God that we serve. And authority just means sovereignty. He's sovereign. He can do what he wants. And that's great news for us. Jesus is not like Officer Luke, who wants to cite everything for everyone at all times. 
Jesus answers to no one on earth because we will see that he has all authority under earth and heaven, and he can do what he pleases. He has the right to rule our lives. But you know what? When we start talking about authority, we all kind of cringe up a little bit, don't we? Except those people who, when the teacher says, hey, let's all write the rules out, and you were one of those kids that said, pick me, pick me, pick me, and you made like 10 rules, and all your friends pushed, pushed you into the, uh, uh, the well at recess because they had to follow those rules now. Except for those people, most of us, when we hear the word authority, we start to cringe. And because of that, especially for those who don't know Jesus, that word authority really gets down to the very depths of their soul. So three realities today about why people don't want the biblical Jesus. And let me give you three from our text today, because it comes down to authority and power. We're going to see this morning that people hate his authority, Jesus' authority. We're going to see that they hold off his answers. They don't like to hear what he has to say. And then finally, we're going to see they hunger not for his approval. They like the approval of people more than they love the Word of God. Friend, if you're here today and you say, Darren, how does this apply to me? I pray this really reminds you and refreshes you in the authority of God in your life. Church, I pray this reminds us that the authority that we have is not given to us because we're a 501c3 that was incorporated in 1962, that our power and our authority comes from on high. It is Christ or it is nothing. And that is what it's about. If you're able to join me this morning in standing in honor of God's word, will you uh, find your way to Mark 11 and stand as we read verses 27 to 33. The authority of Jesus challenged today. The authority of Jesus challenged. And you may recall in the last several weeks, Jesus has gone in and cleansed the temple. Jesus has gone in and he has talked about the lesson of the withered fig tree. He's told the disciples this is what's coming but now the, the situation has changed. The, the, the powers that be are ready to challenge the power that is. And this is where we pick it up in Mark eleven twenty seven, on Terrible Tuesday of Jesus' last week on earth. And verse 27, they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, as Jesus was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why do you not believe him? But we shall say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they will all hell John was really a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's really a humorous account. Because Jesus just turns everything they planned on their heads and says, guys, once again, it's not about you. It's all about me. And when Jesus says that, he doesn't say that pridefully. He says it as the only one who can say, I am Lord of lords and King of kings. Guys, if you're here today and you're struggling with something in your life, I pray you're encouraged to see how Jesus works through this episode, to see how he's working in your life even today. And I pray if you're not a Christian here today, that you see that Jesus is truly the only one who has authority in our lives, the one we must submit to. Will you join me in prayer as we start off today? Father God, what a joy it is to be here. We know there's many places else we could be. There's many churches we could be at. There's many places that we could be uh, sick in. 
Father, you brought us here in your providence. Thank you so much that in your plan we are gathered here today on a a cool late March spring morning, Father. But we know you're with us because you said you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you for the songs that we heard that spoke to the power that you have over nature and things and people. But yet we praise you, Lord, because we have a friend like you, Father, all by grace through Christ. Father, I pray for the youngest here up to the oldest that each of us, all of us, would get a bigger glimpse, uh, a shot of encouragement through your spirit today to know and be reminded of who you are. Father, we serve not a weak God, but we serve the God of gods. We pray this all today for the matchless name of Christ. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. Maybe seated this morning. Thank you. Well, as we come to this passage, I, 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 I want to start off with the, the first reason people don't want the biblical Jesus. They hate his authority. They hate his authority. And in verse 7, 27, we just jump right into this confrontation. They, they've come again, Jesus and his disciples, back to Jerusalem, to the temple. And they come in and they walk from Bethany, which is like two miles. It's like walking from here, uh, probably up to the 435, 35 split north of here, a couple miles up the road. And, 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 and it's there, and, and the, the, the tension is there. There's, there's a tension in the air. Something is going to give. The people don't know what it is, but it's going to happen. And now Jesus, as he's walking here, he's not ministering in the shadows. He's doing something very public. Jesus does things privately, but all this ministry at the very end is very public at this point until we get to the later chapters. And they're in this court of the Gentiles. They're in the area that God had set apart for people who did not know the biblical God to come and learn about him. And Luke even says of the same account that he was teaching the people and preaching. Mark says he's walking. Luke says he's standing. Jesus is busy. It's what's happening. And one thing we love about Jesus, don't we, is he has the courage to speak when no one else will speak. He has the courage to stand up and say, guys, this isn't right, and he's going to teach even though he's resisted. But then you hear the music, don't you, if it was a movie, the, you know, here, come, here comes the, the bad guys waltzing into town. The chief priests, it says, the scribes and the elders all come to him. They're, they're known, of course, as the Sanhedrin made up of 70 members of, of those groups within them. Of course, the Sanhedrin was a, a power group, and it was similar to John 1 when they sent a delegation out to see John the Baptist to say, are you the Christ or are you not? And here they send it out because they have planned, they have thought about it, they're ready to trap Jesus, and they're going to embarrass him the most holy way they think they can and discredit him and therefore regain their authority. Now, the chief priests were ruling. It was made up of the high priests of Israel and the former high priest. The scribes were the lawyers of the day. They were the professional ministers, if you will, the the interpreters of the law. And then you had the elders. These were kind of the lay leaders. These were the guys that worked the full-time job and then went and served in the church on the side, if you will. All these people come, and you can just see the commotion going on. You can see the commotion building. I mean, if you're in the temple and you see these guys, it's like, whoa, I'm going to go over here now. You don't get in their way. But Christian, right out of the gate, I just want to remind you, and this will be up here, but we need neither to be quick to criticize nor afraid to confront. Notice that 
when they come, in verse 27, the confrontation is already brewing. And as they come, Jesus knows what is on the horizon. Now, God will pursue you. He will trouble you at times. He'll convict you. He'll unsettle you. He'll confront you because he loves you. And Christians, sometimes in the body of Christ, whether as a pastor or as a body, we have to confront other people who are in sin within our own ranks, don't we? It's so surprising sometimes when we talk about the topic of church discipline that comes up that so many people are taken aback. Well, why would the church ever discipline anyone within their ranks? Why would they ever say, you're in sin and do this and do that? But yet they go home and they get mad at other parents who let their kids run like a, a wild man through the streets of Walmart every time, and they have no problem with that. But when it comes to the church, we have trouble seeing about confrontation confrontation in the church when done in love, prescribed by Jesus in Matthew 18, is a good thing. It is a good thing. Confrontation for confrontation's sake is not a good thing. But there are times that we have to do this. And Christian, there are times when you have to confront someone who doesn't know the gospel with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have got to take your relationship from a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, and bring it to them and say, look, buddy, I love you. Are you for Jesus or are you against Jesus? And guess what? It's going to offend them. But there's also a time that we need to remember that a love that refuses to confront sin is not love at all. It's not love to remain silent while our brother is ruined by unrepentant sin. And you say, well, Darren, isn't this what the Sanhedrin is doing? Aren't they wrong? Yes, they are. They're doing it the wrong way. But Christian, when people are opposing us, remember this. This is what the Bible said would happen. When you walk a godly way, you will be persecuted. Anyone, 2 Timothy 3.12, who wants to be godly in Christ Jesus might be persecuted, could be persecuted. No, will be persecuted. And the Holy Son of God is right there. Be warned, it is risky to confront a brother or sister in sin. You may win him or he may or she may stop talking to you altogether. But for the glory of God, this is what it is. There's a time to confront. But they hate his authority. And so verse 28, they are going to talk about who's in charge. Did you notice the questions they ask him? They ask him actually two questions here, and you see this very clearly in the text. They ask him, and they said to him, they being the Sanhedrin said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? That's question one. And question two, or who gave you this authority to do them? In other words, you're not one of us, dude, so stop trying to act like one of us. Go do your own thing and leave us alone. It's basically what's being said. And, and the first question is a what question. It's a nature. Who are you? Who do you think you are? And the second question is a who question, and we'll break these down here. First, they want to Talk about Jesus' authority. Jesus, who are you? What would you do? Or what, what's the nature of your authority? And, and they're going to look at this specifically. Specifically, there's going to be a cleansing of the temple. Specifically, Jesus, you came in in verses 15 to 18, and you cleaned house. Who gave you that commission? Did you just do it yourself? And why would you do that? You have the nerve to come and mess up our church like that, Jesus? How dare you? What right do you have? Well, there's also a general question in question one that the entirety of the teaching that was so contrary to the teaching of the scribes, what authority do you have? What authority do you have? Christian, can I encourage you today? In Jesus' entire ministry, he's had authority since the beginning. He's had authority over disease. 
Pharisees had authority to look at a sick person and say, no longer will you be sick, be healed. He had authority over eternal life. He gave those to whom he chose eternal life to all those who would repent and believe the gospel. He has authority, he told them in the other gospels, to be a final judge on the last day. Can you imagine someone standing up and saying, I'm going to be your judge? You would look at him and say, you're weird. But for Jesus, this is who he is. He told them in other sermons that he had the authority to sentence men to hell, to throw them into hell, to throw away the key and let his sovereignty deal it all out. He told them he had the authority to take men to heaven, to send the Holy Spirit, to, to cast out demons. We, we looked at that in Matthew or Mark 5 this morning. And the one that really got their goad, Mark 2, he had the, the authority to forgive sins. Friend, I'm here to tell you, I have no more authority to forgive your sin than I have to change your tire. And if you know me about anything about cars, that's saying an awful lot. I have no authority to forgive your sin. doesn't matter if I'm in a booth or I'm not in a booth. If I'm in my car or not in a car. If I'm on the phone or not on the phone, you don't need to talk to me. You need to talk to him who has the authority to forgive those sins. He had the authority over death. Jesus raised dead people to life. Wouldn't that be weird? I'm not a zombie person. These weren't real zombies. But if that happened today, if Jesus raised people today, they would be like, wow, the zombie apocalypse is upon us. No, there's no zombie apocalypse. But Jesus literally raised physical people back to life. That's awesome. And if you saw your news, there was a guy in South Africa who got in trouble for this a couple weeks ago. It was on uh, one of the news channels. They, they paid a guy to stay overnight inside a casket, and then they opened it up on a Sunday, but you can see him breathing in the video. And then he raised him up, up to life, and, and they backtracked all this stuff. Did anyone see this in the news a couple weeks ago? It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. Jesus didn't need to fake it. He already did it. And then lastly, he's told the authority, I saw Satan and I cast him down like lightning. When they come to him and they say to him, by what authority are you doing these things inside Jesus is just doing that divine laugh. <laughs> you have no idea. The authority of Jesus, guys, is ultimate. He has no equal. It is infinite. It is without limits. It is supreme. He has no rival. It is universal. It is without boundaries. No place anywhere that the authority of Jesus is not. That is our God. The trouble is the religious leaders thought they were the authority, and that was the problem. And that goes to question number two. Who gave you this authority? Jesus, what's your source? You're a bumpkin from the backwaters of Galilee, and you think you can come into Harvard and teach us guys? Who do you think you are? And they say, Jesus, you're uneducated, you're unapproved, you're not, you're, 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 you're rating well in the polls, but no one really cares about you because you're not one of us. You weren't bred from us, you didn't come from the right stock, you came from the other side of the tracks, your mama. Well, well, we won't even talk about your mama, Jesus, because we're not even sure who your father is. You can imagine the things that they were thinking and saying to Jesus, can't you? But if Jesus authorized to do these things, only God could have done them. I mean, guys, when you think about it, when, when it's baseball season, Jeff Otterman is the happiest camper west of the Mississippi, I think. It's baseball season, and the Royals are going to have a, a banner year, I'm sure. But at some point, we're going to see some guy get called up from the minors, and we're going to look around and say, what was his name again? Who's that? Where'd he come from? 
Or it's one of those things when you've been working at a job for a long time and some young kid jumps in with a college degree and starts telling you how to do your job because he went to some prestigious school and you're looking around at all the other guys or gals saying, who in the world does this guy think he is? How much more did they question who Jesus was because of who he said he was? And it's a good reminder as they question his authority that we go to church, and you'll see this on the screen, to worship the unelected, unimpeachable king today. The king who knows no bounds. We don't go to church to import our Americanism into our Christianity. We go to church to export our Christianity to America because we need it more than ever. If we could rescue our nation today by one heroic act, we would, but we can't. What we do is we humbly go to church and we say, it's not about us, it's about the one who sent us. And the one who sent us is greater than anyone who could be up there because the one who's up there is just merely a, a sovereign plan of the one who set this all up. The Lord Jesus got up on Sunday morning and rose from the dead, and we can get up and go to church because that is the most countercultural thing you can do today in some ways, shapes, and forms. Is when they say, by what authority are you going to church and doing these things? You say, by that authority, the guy who rose from the dead. His name is Jesus, and there is no salvation in any other name. You know, it's kind of like that story of uh, the old uh, Christian herder who was governor of Mississippi. He was running for his second term of office, and he was in a line uh, chasing votes, and he hadn't had lunch, so he decided to go to the local church barbecue. And it was late in the afternoon, and he was famished, and he held out his plate to get served in line, and she put one piece of fried chicken on his plate. And she, he said, ma'am, excuse me, I've had a long day. Um, you know, do, do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? And the woman said, sorry, I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken. And the governor said, but I'm starving. Ma'am, can I have another piece of chicken? Come on now. Sorry, I only give one a piece. That's what the pastor said. And the governor was modest and unassuming, but he decided to throw his weight around a little bit and said to the lady, the chicken lady, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I'm the governor of the great state of Massachusetts. Do you know who I am, the woman said? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. Move along, mister. Next. And it is what it is. Now, i got to be careful here about comparing Jesus to a chicken lady, but it really made me think about this. When they come to him and they say to him, by what authority, he just looks like that soup Nazi in Seinfeld and says, no soup for you, and moves on. Because that Jesus has authority, but they hate him for it. Man, they hate him. And if you know a, Christ, uh, a person who's not a Christian here today, Friends, let me tell you, they hate, they don't hate you, they hate Jesus. You share the gospel with them. They hate the one of whom who you speak. Let's go on to the second thing. Uh, why people don't like the biblical Jesus. They hate his authority, but secondly, they hold off his answers. Look at verse 29, if you will. You see this counter question coming. Jesus is going to question them. Verse 29 and 30, and I'll read that for us quickly. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Jesus is never on the defensive. I want to remind you of that, church. Jesus is not anything but a sheer genius. He is God after all. And, and, and he, he asks that question, and he, and, and he tells him, Answer me. You answer me, authorities. I will tell you by what authority. It's a common debating technique, a answering a question with a question 
Uh, you do this with your kids or your grandkids sometimes. Can I have an extra piece of pizza? And you say, what do I look like, a pizza shop? You know, or something like that. You, you figure it out. You do this all the time. It's common. And Jesus is so in control, he's ahead of this whole thing. Their answer will be his answer to their question. And his answer depends on their answer. And he's not being evasive. Jesus could have just given them a straight answer. But what it does is it shows once again that his authority is in control. Even in the smallest conversations, Jesus has no equal. He's in charge. He's always in control of every situation. He's running circles around. Jesus doesn't play by their rules. We play by his. And he asked him that question, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? He brings it all back to this. Now, you remember John the Baptist, don't you? You know the story. John the Baptist was not the Christ. He was the precursor, the forerunner. But there's an inseparable connection between these two, Jesus and John. Neither man had been to, to the rabbinical schools. They were outsiders in religion. Either man had been brought from within the system, but both were popular with the people. The people loved them. They ate them up. Sometimes, literally or otherwise, they just could not get enough of them. But when that first group went out to see John the Baptist in John chapter 1, asking these same questions, he said, Behold, John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And to acknowledge the ministry of John is to acknowledge the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because John testified of Christ. No John, no Christ. N-O John, N-O Christ. Friends, and this is a reminder to us as Jesus presents this, that submission to Christ without submission to the Scriptures is submission to a self-made Christ, not submission to Christ. Jesus says, whatever you say about John, you say about me. And we would say it in this term, whatever you say about the Bible in the, as a whole, you say about Jesus. Every prophet, every lawgiver, every sage, every apostle, every author of Holy Scripture testifies, Jesus would say, to himself, to me. And you can't accept the Bible without accepting the one whom the Holy Scripture speaks of. Friends, be very careful. People veil language so easily in today's world. They'll say, well, you'll ask them a question, do you believe the Bible would be God's word? And they'll say, well, I, I, I think it contains God's word. It, it, you know, I think it has the words of God, but no, it, well, they must be one of us. But then you push a little deeper. No, no, do you really believe this is the Word of God? Well, I think it contains the Word of God. And that sounds okay, doesn't it? I mean, sure, it's got pages, it's got binding, it contains things. But really what they're saying is they're saying that it might possibly have the Word of God, but we're not totally sure. There might be some places where God spoke, but really we're not sure if God spoke through the whole thing. That's craziness, guys. When Jesus speaks, he speaks plainly and he speaks clearly. You don't have to worry about what the meaning is. This Bible is exactly what it is, the Word of God from cover to cover, and there is no less. This is our authority, guys. Christ has given us the Bible for this. Years ago, we battled for the Bible within our convention, Southern Baptist Life. Now we're battling for the sufficiency of the Bible. Is the Bible enough to tell us how to run our lives, to run our churches, and to run everything we do as Christians? By what authority? And for many people, it's hard for them to grasp that God would speak to us in such a way. But the baptism of John, 
He focuses on this. Was it from God or was it from man? And Jesus reminds them, what you say about John is what you will say about me. If John is real, then he spoke truth about me. Do you not believe that, he would tell them? He speaks to the authority, the inspiration, and the truth of the Word of God. Friends, what confidence we have in the Bible because the Bible is the Word of God. Eat this up. Don't eat it literally, but eat it spiritually up. Put down those 10-cent nickel, dime, whatever things are out there. Put down your Kindle. Put down Facebook. Let's get back to the Bible. I mean that. You want to see your family transform? Sir, get in the Bible. Ma'am, get in the Bible. You want to see your church transformed to the Word of God? Then get in the Bible. I don't care what our opinions are. What does the Bible say? Dave, I didn't bring it, but I thought about bringing it over. Dave has a little a fake pistol. And I've shared this before, and many of you know this, but he has a fake pistol that I have in my office that when you click it, it rolls out and it says, where is the Scripture? Show me the Scripture. Church, that's what we need to do, whatever we hear in this world. Where is the Scripture? By what authority? We have the authority. Through the Spirit, he gave it to us. The very words of God in the Bible. And notice that Jesus tells them twice to answer me. Answer me. He holds them in court. They think they are going to hold him in court. He says, look, guys, you answer me. What is the truth? And we will get there in a minute, but they don't like his answers because they want to submit, not to Christ, but to themselves. You know, it's been a long time ago. It's been actually 12 years, but in Greensburg, Kansas, it's hard to believe that a tornado uh, uh, broke the town down. Maybe you remember this, an EF5 tornado ripped through the, the town of Kansas, Greensburg, Kansas, in 2007. And they had to rebuild uh, what was known as the world's largest hand-dug well. It looks like this. Anyone ever been there before, just out of curiosity? Nelson, of course. Nelson uh, uh, has been about everywhere fun and interesting. And they did this little by little back in the 1880s. They dug by hand and by pulley and all these things. And the finished well is no more than 100 feet deep. But it took enormous effort to reach the water, but it produced lasting results. In fact, the town used the well after the tornado as the only source of clean water for a long time, just about 12 years ago. But it made me think that the Bible likens wise counsel to a deep well. Good advice is not just something that's on the surface. It takes work to find it sometimes. You have to dig deep. There's plenty of people who have no idea what they're talking about, but they always want to give us a piece of their mind. They always want to say, this is what I would do, this is what I would do, this is what I would do. And sadly, there will be plenty of people who give you advice, who question the very things that God say because they think that it worked for them, and so therefore it should also work for you. Friend, be careful. People who reject the biblical Jesus, the deeper you dig down, the more natural you see them for who they are. They're not lovers of God, they're lovers of self. But praise God, even though we were born in sin, Christ has conquered sin. But the deeper you dig, like these authorities, the deeper you will find they need Christ. Friend, where do you find your answers? Do you rebuff the answers of God's Word? Or do you trust it for what it is? George Mueller, the great preacher of England in the 1800s, was asked where the power for his ministry came. And he said one thing. He said it's when people get back to reading their Bibles and trusting the answers of God's Word. Spurgeon said, I'd rather take one verse of Scripture And hold it for all eternity than all the discoveries and treasures and knowledge of men will ever have. Do we honor God's word that well? These men did not, but Christ put them in their place. We'll close with this. Number three, 
people hate Christ's authority. They hold off his answers, but finally, they don't hunger for his approval. Look at verse 31. Uh, verses 31 and 32. It says, and, and, and the second is this. Oh, I'm on chapter 12, verse 31. Let's go back to 11. Here it is. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then don't you believe him? But shall we say from man? For here's the key phrase. They were afraid of the people, for they all held John really was a prophet. There's calculation here. They, they tried to catch him off guard, but it already is coming back to them. And they discussed one another. They're pooling their own ignorance. They're just gathering a think tank of uh, a cesspool of nothingness. If they say from heaven, he will say. They're connecting the dots. If we acknowledge it's from heaven, they're going to be charged with unbelief. How can the religious leaders not see something from heaven? But if they say from men, for they were afraid of the people. Because if they call him just a prophet, they're going to be stoned themselves. They'll have a revolt on their hands. And the Romans will come and they'll lose their power anyway. So they do the only thing that most husbands have learned how to do because when you get caught in a trap, the only thing you can say is, I don't know. I don't know. Can you imagine the tension that was happening within that group when they were discussing these things? Their power's in the balance. Their existence as a nation, if they say they're from man's on the balance. And then just their pride of saying simply, we don't know. These are the religious leaders of the land, and they don't know. Well, if they don't know, then why, how do we know? I want to remind you that if you're a Christian, if you balance those things, if you're more worried about what people will say about you when you live for Christ than what God says about you in Christ, you'll not last as a Christian until you can be dead to approval of the world. You will not last. Church, we will not last. If our church, and I don't believe we are here, I'm just saying this as a word, a pastoral word for us, but if we are more worried about how we are perceived by outsiders than we are before the thrice holy God that we serve, then we have a problem. If we are more concerned about how our message will be received by those who come through our doors, then friends, we have a greater heart problem than we know. But if our goal is to honor Christ in all that we do, we're going to be weird, people. So many Christian ministries try to be different and alternative and, man, we're going we're gonna to make a new idea. Guys, just live for Jesus. You'll be weird enough already. Amen? Seriously. That's what it is. If you're a Christian, you're already weird. The world is going to hell and you have been rescued by God. That's weird. Because no other God does that. And there's no way out of this. And so let me just tell you that the approval of God in Christ is worth more than a trillion pats on the back and worth all the stabs that come with it too. Because you know what? At the end of the day, it's not going to be people who are going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's going to be Christ himself, the authority here, who says, well done, good and faithful servant church as your pastor can i say a pastoral word sometimes as your pastor i may have to tell you truth that i would rather not tell you whether personally or corporately because it's for your good and likewise you to me and 
It may not win you friends or influence you people, but if it's pleasing to God and humbly done before the Lord, then that is the greatest thing that you can do. If living before God has become such a show in a church that we forget that we are not here for ourselves, we are here for Christ, then we have missed the boat. Look, we can debate about should we do this program, should we do that program, should we do this, should we do that, and we have room to disagree in the Lord on such things, but may we never disagree the reason we do it. For Christ, for His kingdom, for people to grow, for people to be saved. That's what it's about. And if we ever change the color of this carpet, God forbid the thought, may we not separate as a church over the color of the carpet. May we separate whether Christ is preached in the pulpit, the Bible is true, and Christ actually, and he did, come back from the grave. Those are splittable issues, amen? I'm still holding out for the pink fuchsia, but if you're, if you're about the green, then this, you've, got it, you've got it made, all right? And then he says, and they say, we don't know. Jesus says, no, neither will I tell you. He's not going to play by their rules. As we close, let me give you three quick faith lessons, and we'll end with this, I promise. Jesus is always in control of every situation of your life. This will be up on the screen. Jesus is always in control of every situation of your life. He's never off guard. He's never on the defensive. He's never reactionary. He's always in charge. He's always in control. He's always out ahead of everything. He, nothing throws Jesus off balance. Even when confronted by evil men, Jesus is fully in control. Be encouraged. There's no evil men in the world who can conspire or overturn the sovereign plan of God. Hitler tried it. Pol Pot tried it. Muhammad tried it. Yes, I said that from the pulpit. He tried it. Yet Christianity spread even more when the Muhammadan revolutions of the 600s happened. Christianity spread like wildfire. Because the more you oppress it, the more it grows. And it's not a cancer, it's the greatest news, and that's what it is. Church, that's why if the church ever gets persecuted, we don't trust us, we trust Him. Look to Him in your life. Genesis 50, 20, you meant for evil, Joseph told his brothers, but God used it for good to the savings of many lives. Jesus never gives a knee-jerk reaction to your situation. He never does anything. He always knows what to do. He always knows what to say, and he always turns everything in our lives for the good of us who are called according to his purpose for his glory. And as we leave in just a few moments, I want to assure you that our hearts will never find ourselves in anything in life that Jesus is not in complete control of. Let us not be reactionary. Let us not be in panic mode. Let us not throw up our hands. We know Jesus, and he's in control, and that's enough. Like those shirts you see from England, you know, uh, take calm or be calm or something. You've seen that crown. I can't think of the shirt name offhand, but it says, uh, carry on. Just keep moving on. Jesus is in control. Your finances are bad. Jesus is in control. Your kids are crazy. Jesus is in control. The church doesn't seem to be what it used to be or what you'd like it to be or what it should be or whatever it is to be. Jesus is in control and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Secondly, Jesus' authority is irresistible. No counter-authority can ever resist it. He is King of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's Prince of princes. He's Judge of judges. His authority is absolute. His authority is infinite, supreme, eternal, immutable. He is God. He has all authority to convert His enemies. He has all authority to change circumstances. 
He has all authority to say yes, no, or wait to your prayer request. He has all authority to build his church, to open blind eyes, to, to open hard hearts, to rout his enemies, to control human history, to determine every destiny, because every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And just as he was in charge of this situation, so he remains in charge of all situations. That is our God. But Darren, you don't know what our family's facing. You don't know what our church is facing. You don't know what our denomination is facing, what our culture is facing. I don't, but I know that Jesus has already faced it. He's beat it. He's won it. He's tossed it out, and he's kicked it to the street, and he's, he keeps kicking it down the street until he scores another goal. That's what he does for his glory, for our good. Finally, Jesus' authority alone has authority to forgive sin. Sin separates us from God. It condemns us before God. It's our greatest problem, but our greatest need is that Jesus came to die for our sins. That's what we know. Only one has supreme authority to cancel out our sin, and only one has supreme authority to remove our sin, and that is him. If you're not a Christian here today, that is the message for you. And you know what? Jesus, this great story, and this, this picture just scares me. Uh, this story right here, this picture really scares me. It's about that story of that old lady who returned from a church service to find a robber in her house, and she stopped and she yelled, Acts, A-C-T-H, 238, which means repent. It's basically what it says. And, and the burglar stopped dead while the old lady called the police, and he literally stood frozen until the police handcuffed him. And the, the guy asked him, well, what? She's an old lady. <laughs> Why would you just stand there? She quoted you a Bible verse. A Bible verse, the robber said. She said she had an axe and two thirty-eights, and what was I to do? Sometimes as a Christian, you need to be reminded of what God's Word says and stop dead in your tracks and be reminded that He is the one who told you, trust me, I got this. Trust me, I'm the authority. They hate me. They don't like my answers. They don't want anything to do with my approval. But I got this, and there is nothing today I cannot handle. And praise God as he makes his way to the cross, that shows itself forth evermore. Will you pray with me as we close? Father God, we thank you so much that you are the authority. Lord, we thank you so much. These truths are nothing new to a mature congregations such as our own, but Lord, even in our matureness, we forget, we, we, we flabbergast through our way of trying to figure out things in life, and we just forget to go to you. Father, these men who came to Jesus hated him for what he stood for, his authority. They hated for what he said and his answers. They hated him because they wanted the people to like them, and they weren't about your glory. Father, uh, forgive us when we have sought those things. We, Lord, help us to love your authority. All that that means, both both in things that we cannot understand and in things that we see the most practical things in our lives that we live out every day. Lord, help us to love your answers even when we pray for something or seek you for something or desire you for something that, 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 that you say you'll give in Psalm 37. Lord, even if it's not how we would package it, let us thank you for it. Father, when, when we are caught up in this world, when we're, we're posting something on Facebook or talking about something or seeking to exaggerate ourselves, Father, would you forgive us? 
Help us to love your approval even more than those likes, those pats on the backs, or promotions that may come in this world. Help us to love you, love others, honor the King as we're told, and to spread the gospel. Father, that's what we're about. We love you so much. As we close out today, may you be glorified in Jesus' name.